0: Got a new episode of Swings and Mishes coming up for almost 50 years. All year cooling has been the place that keeps all of South Florida cool. Listen, it is April, and then you know, living here in South Florida, summer is coming, and you do not want to wait to have your system checked. You do not want to wait to replace your unit. You know how this goes, it gets very hot here basically from the end of April into May and all the way through the summer into the fall to give you an idea 10 years ago. I call Tommy Smith at all year. He is the owner. He's been the owner. He and his family for decades. And I purchased a new unit from them. And here we are, 10 years later, I've had absolutely zero issues. And they have the best customer service of any air conditioning company I've ever used. In fact, I think I may have called Tommy twice personally in 10 years. I needed some help. And within the hour, they're at my house. They show up. Very professional. They do a great job, and then I'm good to go for months and months and years. They're incredible. In fact, if you schedule a new unit installed before the afternoon, they will come and put a new unit in your house in the same day. No one in South Florida can guarantee that. They offer up to 60 month financing. And remember, I personally use all year cooling, and Tommy has been a personal friend of mine. For over 10 years, you call him, you let him know you want a cool unit in your house this summer. Don't wait till June till it breaks down. You have to do it now. Call 866 381 3554. Or while you're listening to this podcast, take your phone out, go to their website, allgearcooling.com, click on the call now button. You'll get connected directly to them. And by the way, my friend, the owner, Tommy Smith, You can text him directly from your phone, from the website right now, and he'll set you up. All-year cooling is my personal place to go. They keep my home cool. They keep my family cool for more than a decade. The number, again, 866-381-3554.
1: MLB fans, welcome back to another episode of Swings and Mishes, an episode after Craig and I actually got to spend some time together in person. Wow. Uh, it's crazy, right? I am, uh, I'm i your producer, Jeremy Taché, and as always, Craig Mish is joining me today on what's actually going to be kind of a fun episode going back and forth in and out of some interviews, but we're going to start with the reason Craig and I spent some time together, and that is because... We got to watch uh, the guy who seems to be the ace of the Marlins. It's Caleb Smith. Uh, Caleb Smith, who was absolutely dominant again last night. Seven innings, eight strikeouts, just four hits and one run. He's now 3-0 with a 2.00 ERA. Uh, he's at the top of the league in a whip. Craig, Caleb Smith, uh, you said it before the season that he was going to have a really good year. But I think this is probably even blowing past your own expectations, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and I I didn't see him being this good. I thought that he would be the most valuable player on the Marlins. And I said that back in March, which I believe you retweeted the other day. Yeah. Uh, something along those lines. Um, look, he is he has been as dominant a pitcher on the Marlins – since Jose Fernandez, that's just a, a fact at this point. Now, Urania had an unbelievable run last year, and they've had other pitchers that have had nice runs and nice two or three starts, but there is just so much to like about this kid right now. And he said after the game on Wednesday night that this is the best stretch that he has ever felt over the course of his career. I, I thought last year he looked really good too and didn't have the best luck, and one of the interesting things that was said in Don Mattingly's postgame about Caleb Smith, which, again, gets lost unless you basically dissect everything Mattingly says like I do, mm-hmm. which is that he is – he said he is the one, Don Mattingly said. And then he corrected himself, and he said yeah. he's one of – but you know what that means. He's the one that doesn't want to ever come out of the game. He always wants to stay in the game. And you love to hear that about a player – I would say that he is on track right now. He's going to still have to continue what he's doing to represent the Marlins in the All-Star Game in July. We'll know about that probably more clearly when we get to Memorial Day, but it certainly appears that way. And we will talk to Mike Hill about Caleb Smith, and And I think it's important to dive into how a player was acquired. For some people, maybe it's not that intriguing. I have always been jealous of baseball ops. I've always felt like... That was something that I wanted to do, be part of a major league baseball organization. The closest I've gotten to that, Jeremy, is fantasy. And uh, right. look right. where that's
1: gotten me, by the way.
0: <laughs> that's, the, that's the closest that I've always wanted to be to that. And so, uh, you know, being somebody who can identify talent and grab them on your fantasy team, I know it's not reality, but I always found that intriguing. So in the conversation that you'll hear with Mike Hill, I kind of go at it with that. Like, so how, does, how did that happen? Like, how did you find this guy? How did you know to get this guy? Because so many of the trades the Marlins have made have been just destroyed in the media. And by the way, for good reason, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Christian Yellows trade, what am I going to sit here and say, oh, it was a great trade for the Marlins? I, I don't do that. Everyone knows who listens to this podcast, or you know me, that I call it very fairly. And as a matter of fact, at the game on Wednesday, Jeremy, uh, somebody who was an employee for the Marlins came up to me and said, you know, the one thing about you is that when we win, you call it, you're, you're nice, and you say things are going well, and when you lose, you basically crush us, <laughs> and you know what? That's kind of the way that it should be done. And I'm like, that is exactly right. Like, I am not going to paint a picture that is, is a gorgeous picture when the team is 8-21, and 21 or it, but when you win, I'll be the first one to say, hey, this was good, this was great, and certainly Caleb Smith has been the best story for sure of the Marlins here in 2019. Before we hear from Mike Hill, I also want to say one other thing, and I am a huge JT Real Mutual apologist. Everyone knows that by now. He's one of my favorites. Last year in spring training in March, before anything had ever started, before the first game of the season, coming off of JT's request to trade, which I had that last year, I sat down with him for about 15 minutes, and we went through everything on the Marlins, all the pitchers, one by one, and he told me specifically, the best pitcher on the Marlins is Caleb Smith. And I'm like, what? Like, Who is this guy? What are you talking about? He was not even talked about as being in the rotation in January or February when they acquired him. He's like, I am telling you now, I've seen the stuff. These kids have some electric stuff, no doubt, but the best pitcher is going to be Caleb Smith. And you know what? Go figure. Here we are. JT was right. So we'll see if he can continue it Jeremy there's no doubt the starts are not going to get any easier they'll get tougher from here on out he won't get to pitch at home every start he's been lights out at home too but i think you have to be super encouraged with the way that he started out the season
1: yeah absolutely and it's his aggressiveness around the zone i you talk about Don Mattingly talking about the way that Caleb Smith is the the quote unquote one guy or one of the guys uh, that is always asking to stay in the game. And and ironically, the thing that I first thought of, and I, I should have followed up with Mattingly yesterday when, when we were there, but the thing that I thought of was the night before him continuing to talk about how he feels like Alcantara needs to be more aggressive in the zone. And it was the opposite in terms of what he was talking about with Caleb Smith is uh, he's just attacking everybody. And you feel like, because these guys are all sort of coming up together. I mean, I know they're different ages, but maybe they can all sort of learn different things from each other. And that's something that maybe Alcantra can learn from Smith. And, you know, they can teach each other pitches. And it's something that they get to grow together. Um, But Caleb Smith has been nothing short of dominant thus far this year. I mean, he's been one of the best pitchers in the league. And like you said, he's sort of on the fast track to be the Marlins representative in the All-Star game. So now we'll get a chance to hear from Mike Hill as to how the Marlins acquired Caleb Smith. And then we'll be back after that to talk about some different moves made on this Miami Marlins roster.
0: The first trade that was made in the new ownership was Caleb Smith and Garrett Cooper for Michael King, I believe. Is that right? So how did you guys determine that you wanted that player and talk to me about that trade with brian cashman
2: well our our process um that that we started you know when uh when a new ownership grant group came in and and uh, we brought aboard gary dimbo and dan greenley um we we studied all uh 30 orga- all 29 other organizations and their 40-man rosters because uh, we were in the fall And um, we're probably two weeks away from um, setting um, the reserve list, uh, which is where you you set your rosters for the the winter meetings and the Rule 5 draft. Um, And so it's a a tremendous exercise because you get to really evaluate the depth of of all 29 organizations and um, evaluate their potential roster ads. Um, you add players to the roster at that time because you don't want them to be taken by other organizations. <clears throat> In the Rule 5? Okay. In the Rule 5 draft. So it's a, it's a pretty lengthy exercise as you evaluate your own system. You add your players because um, at that point they're, they're, the rosters are frozen. The, those, anybody who's not protected on a major league roster is, is, is exposed for the major league draft. Um, So it's an exercise that that we started, and so um, obviously um, Gary and Dan, um, having just come over from the Yankees, had intimate um, knowledge of the Yankees roster um, and the players who were eligible for um, the Rule 5 draft who either had to be protected or had to be exposed. So at that time of the year, um, there's often opportunity to make small trades. If I don't have the roster flexibility to add these players, then I may look to get value for them as opposed to the Rule 5 money. Um, You look to get the value by trading them somewhere else and getting something that's not yet Rule 5 eligible. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about we did it again this year with Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson was another one that we did. And a good um, example of a guy yeah. like that that's worked out. Exactly. So um, in the case of the Yankees, we knew that they had roster. Um, they, had, they, they had a number of players that they needed to protect. They didn't have the opportunity to protect all of them. So whenever that happens, there is opportunity uh, to make a deal. Um, so we make the call, and um, we had interest in both Garrett and Caleb. Um, Garrett had just had a tremendous triple-A season. Um, His offensive metrics were off the charts. Um, So we felt like in an organization that's going through a build and and you're trying to add as much talent to your organization, to add that position player is a great opportunity for us. Caleb Smith similarly had had a very, very good triple-A year. Um, our metrics, internal metrics, he had been um, one of the better triple-A pitchers in, in minor league baseball. Um, but in a very small major league sample size, he hadn't fared very well. Which happens. Young players sometimes come to the big leagues, and for myriad reasons, they, you know, don't have immediate success. Um, so. Given the AAA success that they had had and the belief that, that there could be future Major League success if, given the opportunity, um, you just engage on seeing if, if you could make make a trade. And um, given the timing, um, the window, we were approaching that, that deadline, um, they were not going to be able to, to protect everyone, uh, and so we were able... Um, you know, at the expense of Michael King, and then uh, we traded away international money. Um, but it was it was money for the period that um, was was ending. So you know, it wasn't you know it, it was money that we, we felt like we could we could we could trade away, and um, we were able to get both of them. And uh, we were extremely pleased because we felt like um, at that point we hadn't we hadn't uh, traded Stanton. Away, we hadn't traded Ozuna, um, so we didn't know exactly what the rotation was going to look like. But we knew that we had rotation opportunity um, at the time, and we felt like Caleb Smith um, would come in to camp in 2018 and compete for a roster spot.
0: I mean, fairly. I mean, fairly or unfairly, we and the media and fans spend so much time crushing you on Yelich and on other trades. But truthfully, we don't look at good trades. Like we never, like Pablo Lopez also was another trade that doesn't get talked about. And I'm not saying that they don't all go into a basket and we evaluate and look at the whole thing. But I guess what I'm trying to understand is that from an outside perspective looking in, I view this as you guys are sitting in a room somewhere, and then a couple of guys are jumping up and down and saying, we got to get this guy Caleb Smith from the Yankees. And maybe it's Dan or maybe it's Gary. Or maybe it's your team. Like I don't know. Like that's how I envision that in a room. Does it? Is it more than that? Is it? Is it you guys convincing each other? Like this is what we need to do.
2: Um, it, it's it's more than that.
0: <laughs> Nobody really knows though. Like no. think, of, think of the people yeah. who are listening to this. Yeah, that's no. what they envision, Mike. Yeah, you know that.
2: Course. Of course, of course. And I understand that. But obviously, there's a, mo- a lot more thought and a lot more process involved. Um, just being thorough um, with your evaluation uh, because. You know, you're you're making trades. You're you're potentially making trades. You're you're shaping your major league roster. Um, so there's immediate impact. Um, it's immediate impact to your major league roster when you make a trade for for players who you have to add to your major league roster. Um, so there has to be long and thoughtful um, discussion um, and back and forth, and it's all positive and productive. Um, where you go through the merits of every player and, and you make sure that there's opportunity and that these players fit with what you're trying to do, not just in the short term, but in the, in the long term as well.
0: Do you see him as an ace of a Major League Baseball franchise, Caleb Smith?
2: Um, I see him as, as a very good part of a, of a Major League rotation. I mean, the, what his ceiling is, is is still to be determined, but you know, his pitch mix, his, his pitch uh, repertoire and, and how he approaches the game, you know, gives him an opportunity every time he steps on the mound to to win a game. And, and, uh, you know, when you're talking about dependable, you know, Major League starting pitchers, you want guys who are consistent and who can take the ball and can execute a game plan. And every time they step on the mound can give you an opportunity to win. And um, Caleb Smith definitely uh, does that.
0: Would he be considered... I know you never do this. Would he be considered an untouchable type player? Are there untouchable type players on the Marlins? It would seem as though, at this moment, he looks like the best player on the 25-man roster from an outsider's perspective.
2: Um, I mean, he's uh, he's pitching. He's major league starting pitching with years of control, so that's uh, that's extremely valuable in this game. And, and you know, we've. Uh, We've gone to great lengths to accumulate as much starting pitch in depth as we possibly can. Um, and with any with any roster, there's there's players that are more likely or less likely to be traded. I would, I would venture to say that any of our young, controllable um, pieces are less likely to be traded because you see them as uh, controllable pieces and part of your future moving forward.
0: All right, but the last question would be, I wasn't going to stop there, but the last question would be, if that is the case, though, you still have to develop hitting, and you have to find hitting somewhere. If somebody comes to you and says, "I won't use a name, give us one of these kids," and you know we'll do you back like we did Real Muto, you'll get a pitcher, you'll get a hitter. You'll, I mean, you wouldn't. I mean, how are you how are you going to get the hitting without trading?
2: Well, I mean, we have to continue to draft and develop. You know, impactful position players to help us win at the major league level. Um, you can make trades. You can sign free agents. I mean, there's there's a number of areas to acquire position player um, depth. Uh, but what has always been um, very difficult is 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 adding frontline starting pitching and having enough to 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 maneuver and get through um, the ups and downs of a major league season. And, um, you know, we're very pleased with the pitching that we've been able to acquire. And and uh, it's no secret that our pitching depth is probably ahead of our position player depth. And we know um, that we we need to add more um, position player, impactful position players to our system. Um, so that's not lost on anyone within the organization. Um, but when your pitching is in place, and I've, I've been up front and told you this on – a number of occasions that, when your pitching is in place, um, you can you can you can create offense a lot more easily than you can create starting pitching. Um, so that's our challenge, you know, as we move forward, um, you know, May first of 2019 and on, um, and we'll continue to work on that and, until we have uh, you know our World Series championship team on the field.
0: So Jeremy, the one thing that Mike Hill is not going to do is he's not going to tip his hand on players that are going to be traded. And certainly he, as the president of the organization, is going to speak very highly of the offensive talent that they have in the minor league system. And candidly, as I told Mike Hill there, as I told him when I stopped recording, I don't see the offensive talent there. I think that at some point, either through free agency or... Or through development that we haven't seen, they're going to have to acquire, or the draft, they're going to have to acquire some offensive players to to start on this team. I think as soon right. as next year. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how they go into next year. Where all I can do is tell you right now that the catcher is Alfaro, mm-hmm. and how how much further can I go than this? I su- I, I suppose <laughs> I'll be- I'll believe <laughs> that Brian Anderson is somewhere in between what we saw two years ago and this year. And I'll give him right field. Uh, am I willing to give any other player on this team? Because I'd willing to give Miguel Rojas shortstop. I w- I'm willing to put Miguel Rojas on the team somewhere. Right. It is, he is amazing with what he does. He, really, he has really come on to be much more than a utility guy. But, Jeremy, that's it. You know, like you can, you can give me, oh, we're going to have Harrison and this player that we do not know. Mm. So I don't know if that means that the Marlins are going to trade a a starter at some point. Mike Hill was pretty adamant about saying we're not going to do that and we're going to keep these kids and develop them. And maybe that will indeed be the case. But at some point, you do have to have offensive players and anyone they draft upcoming in this year's draft, Jeremy, there's no question. That player, whoever it is, is two, three years away. Even if it's a college player, it's two, three years away. So we'll have to see how that works out.
1: Yeah, and one of the guys that you were hoping would be a part of that mix that you just mentioned with Alfaro and Anderson and Rojas as a piece of the future was Lewis Brinson. And he's finally been sent down. You know, we've been talking about it for the last few weeks as to, you know, you kind of need to give this kid sort of a restart. And and that's what's happened here. Um, He has been sent down to AAA. It was in order to make room for Garrett Cooper, who then, of course, on the, the, his second at back got hit in the hand and he's out last night, but hopefully should be at least available on Friday. I think he's okay. Yeah. He seems to be positive and in good spirits, but but nonetheless, yeah. But going back to Brinson, um, you know, he was a piece that you hoped would, would be able to sort of take that step forward this year. And unfortunately he's hitting under 200 and has been sent down. There's a lot of different ways to talk about this. First though, I know, you know you you were talking to me earlier before the show a little bit yesterday about the process in which lewis brinson was set down and the decision making there so so what were you hearing in regards to how lewis brinson was sent down and the decision made around that
0: yeah well let's let's kind of just reset it real quick they gave brinson a full year more or less in the big leagues last year they gave him all of april in 2019 And I would say pretty emphatically there was virtually no offensive progress at all with Lewis Brinson in in over a year plus. So regardless of how you feel about the decision to keep him in the big leagues all last year and the decision to have him start the season with the big league team was probably the right one. The other decision that was made the other day was to send him to triple a and get him right. But the reality is, is that that's a decision That could have come in June. They could have continued to use him as the fourth outfielder. But from what I've been told is that that decision was directly the Marlins uh, CEO, Derek Jeter. That was his decision, inevitably, to make the final call on sending him to AAA. Now, how that conversation happens, I'm assuming that goes directly to the president of baseball operations, Mike Hill, and they discuss it. And certainly Mike Hill is the president of the team, but Derek Jeter is his boss, and he's right. going to make the final call on some things, if not all things. And that was his call essentially from what I'm told. Uh, I don't know if this was a matter of, of Derek Jeter going to Hill and saying, Hey, I want Brinson in the minors. That's not really who he is. But in the brief explanation that I was given was while the Marlins do group think a lot, and we'll get to that here in a second, inevitably it was Derek Jeter that made the call to send Brinson to the minor leagues. So people should know that by the way, the right call to send him to the minor leagues, but we'll see if, if the trade and we'll see if all that works out. But I found that interesting because Jeter has been very heavily involved in baseball operations. I believe more so this year than, than last year. And it's not particularly close. The reason why I say that is because as you know, Jeremy, Mm -hmm. On the 5 Reasons website, I posted a column on Peter O'Brien about a few weeks ago when they made the decision to send him finally to the minor leagues after he had uh, more or less failed or struggled at at the big league level. And what's funny is, is this podcast, because we talk so much about the Marlins, you get different people from the Marlins organization who are listening to the podcast. And at some point, I'm guessing, moving over and reading my columns on the website. Hmm. so another interesting story that was pointed out to me and I feel like there's a couple of reasons to bring this up the first is anytime you mention Derek Jeter (laughs) the world the world kind of wants to know you know the things behind the scenes and so that's part of it I'm not gonna ignore that the other part of it is just kind of telling you how involved he is in this process so the story that I was given was going back to spring training was, as a lot of people know, Peter O'Brien was kind of anointed the right fielder by the Marlins in the offseason, and he was going to be the high aliyah Hulk, and he was going to hit all these home runs, and that's the reason why they didn't go out and sign some free agents. These are all true, true things. But then after spring training, as a lot of people know, it wasn't working out. It was pretty obvious that he shouldn't be in the big leagues, and he probably shouldn't start opening day for the Marlins. Mm -hmm. So on a day in March, at the end of spring training, the Marlins all get together as they're putting together their, their opening day 25-man roster, and all of the, the thinkers are in the room. They're all sitting there, and they're all kind of evaluating things. And the biggest debate of all of the decisions that were, were going to be made was going to be what, who, to, who to start in right field. Was it going to be Peter O'Brien? Was it going to be Garrett Cooper? And so the room is discussing it. And by the way, the one thing that, from what I understand, that, that Jeter does is everyone has a voice. And maybe even potentially people that you wouldn't think would have a voice have a voice. He literally wants to hear from everyone and get everybody's opinion, which is so unlike what happened in the past, because no matter what anybody else said, the owner just made the final decision. He would go against everybody. But in this particular case, he 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 sits, he listens, he absorbs. He has certainly played in the big leagues at the highest level possible, so he can identify players too. Let's not forget about that also. Right. But in this case, after hearing what everybody had to say about O'Brien and it being such in a, in a deadlock in terms of what to do, and there was such difference of opinion that Jeter stepped in and was basically the tiebreaker and decided, hey, here's what we're going to do. O'Brien's going to go to the minors. Cooper's going to start for us. They pulled him out of the spring training lineup that he was in. Mm. They sent him to the minor league facility. Cooper took over. He became the starter. And so it was Jeter's decision at that time to make the final call, uh, the starting right fielder for the Marlins. Now, there's probably a million other of these stories that have happened since then, but I don't get all of them. (laughs) I got that one. So I wanted to bring that to the light a little bit. And by the way, on these two decisions, it seems like he's two for two because the right decision was to send Brinson down and the right decision was not to have O'Brien in the starting lineup, but of course, Cooper got hurt right away. So uh, just interesting notes. And I think people like to hear those kind of stories about Jeter and his involvement and and what's going on and and as I get info uh, and I've had this one for a while I just forgot to you know kind of bring it to light a little bit more than I have and I wanted to get confirmation of these things too that's important so know that that Derek Jeter is is very very heavily involved in the baseball operations side to go along with everything else right that is going on on a day-to-day basis with the ballpark so that can be debated. It certainly can yeah. be discussed. I'm sure that people will listen to this and say, well, what about this? And what he Screwed up this? And what about that? Uh-huh. Look, we can do that too, and that's uh-huh. fine. And mistakes are going to be made, no question, by him and by everybody else. But it just gives you a little bit uh, look, a peek into how the Marlins are operating behind the scenes. And to me, I'm curious about that, and so hopefully you guys are too.
1: Right. Well, and Jeter – being so heavily involved in the operations, like you said, I mean, does sort of seem like that's two for two on those decisions. Now, you know, we could debate as to how they got to those decisions. Right at the end of the day, those oh, decisions yeah. were made the right way. Maybe yeah. the I mean, they couldn't. They shouldn't, right have, right. they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have.
0: They shouldn't have invested heavily in Cooper. Oh, I'm sorry, not Cooper. My right, gosh, O'Brien. No, in O'Brien, they should right. have not. You know, f- that was a not a good decision. Thinking that he was going to be some sort of savior. And you could even make the case that maybe Brinson should have went down a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. Maybe yeah, he, he should have started the season with the team. But, again, judging just based on what I have, have know and told – and, by the way, this is not solicited. No one is coming over to me and saying, let me give you the ten things that Derek Jeter got right. Okay? I'm not doing that. Okay? When, it's, when he gets something wrong and, and there's a mistake made or whatever, I mean, I don't write a, a column – all about the wrong decision that they made about Peter O'Brien for, for my health here. Okay. If, if they screw up something, then you know, I'm going to give it to you. Okay. And they, and they screwed that up with Peter O'Brien for sure. They, they, I mean, they could have had Adam Jones playing right field every day. Mm -hmm. Maybe even Carlos Gonzalez, they should have absolutely spent a couple million and upgraded this offense a little bit more. I don't know how many wins it would have left, but uh, that is clear. But on, on these specific decisions and his involvement, the right decisions have been made so i just wanted to bring that up for here and uh, and look next time jeremy there's right. a decision that's wrong or right and i hear about it i will bring it to you oh
1: well, there's some decisions to be made on the field uh in the marlins next game and that's friday as jose urania is going to get the start against the atlanta braves and it's it's the first time uh, that Urania has seen the Braves since plunking Ronald Acuna last year. For for those of you who don't remember, uh, that caused a bit of a brawl between the two teams. Uh, and now, basically, the Marlins avoided having Urania pitch against the Atlanta Braves uh, the rest of the year. You know, you can make the argument that that was rotational, but it, they avoided. Having Urena go. They also avoided having Urena go against the Braves to start this year, but now finally it's unavoidable. Uh, He's going to make a start against the Braves. It's Friday night, and, you know, there could be a semblance of fireworks here, but we're going to hear from Urena right now as to what he's thinking going into the game on Friday.
0: Hey, I'm not going to um, to waste time. I know Friday night a lot of people are going to be talking about you facing the Braves. This will be the first time that you face them since last season. Uh, have you thought about that? And I know that it was very emotional for you last year. What happened? You know, for me, that is like normal order, you know, like normal team. Do you understand how obviously, uh, you know, people are going to wonder because of what happened last year what would happen in Friday night's game? because of what happened last year uh, what do you expect have you discussed it with anyone any of your teammates and what would you expect
2: to happen on Friday no no more games play ball you know I don't, I don't I don't think about it whatever people say you know I know what I do and I can do you know try to do my job and that's it
0: have since last year have has anybody communicated with you from uh, the Braves or even anybody on the Marlins to say hey look at some point you know you'll have to face these guys again and um you know who knows what could happen because jose we've seen around not just with you but all around baseball there's just so many times where guys are getting hit and then things are happening in the course of a game i know that you haven't changed your approach at all since then but you know how do you approach that when you know that any if anything happens immediately it could lead to something you know, if anything happens, you know, that be on the hand guy. You know, I just try to do my thing and no I do every time because, you know, I played with them last year, and, you know, I was about, like, maybe getting there early. So, you know, I don't think about it. You know, whatever. They want
2: to do something, they do it. You see the answer. You know, I just be ready for play ball and that's it.
0: Okay. Last thing would be is do uh, you understand how on the side of their fans in Atlanta, you know, certainly they get upset because they're, they feel like their best player got hurt. Um, I know you don't pay any attention to that, but you must understand that from a fan base perspective, how things kind of work, and how do you ignore that and just push that to the side? You know, that is normal. You know, that be something fantasy. You know, they go take care of his side, you know, but, and I got to do my own like a player. You know, that is different line. So I got to do my job no matter what, whatever. Any city I, I face, any guy I face, I got to do my job there the way I know how to play. Friday night should be really interesting. I rarely would enter a game thinking that there's going to be a fight. Right. But I do think, I do think <laughs> there, could, there could be something happening on Friday. And I don't want to believe that. I don't like to promote that. But it just seems like Arania's is going to have to make a decision at some point in this game when he is thrown at it just it just kind of feels that and look he may just say you know what fine and run the first and that would be it mm-hmm. maybe that is it but i i don't know i will go to the game i i'm curious to see how this plays out and and again i don't know how the umpires will handle this there's going to be a lot to it and look i hope i'm wrong i hope that nothing happens friday night and there's nothing to discuss But I just simply think that the Braves are going to be looking to remind him uh, as to what happened last year. And then we'll just kind of see the repercussions from that, Jeremy. But I certainly would never promote any kind of injury throwing at or players fighting. But in this day and age where it's been talked about so much in Major League Baseball, I just kind of have a feeling we're headed toward that on Friday night.
1: Right. And Jose certainly doesn't seem like the type of guy that, uh, backs down not, from Not anybody. from that. Not from that. Nope. No, uh, <laughs> it yeah. does not seem that, that way. It's not very much in his personality. Uh, so that's Friday. Um, uh, but there are other interesting things going on around the park, uh, throughout the weekend. And one thing that is sort of a storyline now, and it happened because of this past weekend, um, with the nationals, it's whether or not the roof will be open on Sunday. And for those of you that, that are unaware um, when the roof has been open on the Sunday afternoon games. There's been a ton of shadows, um, and Adam Eaton of the Nationals actually called over the media last week after uh, the Marlins played the Nationals at home, and basically wanted to to talk about how disruptive the shadows were how difficult it was to play and he even said that the Marlins players felt the same way um and that when the roof is open on Sundays that they don't like it either so craig I, you know i know this is sort of a topic of conversation at this point and i know you talked to some people about this topic about the roof being open and and what did they have to say well in terms of the
0: roof being open on Sundays and and mostly I would say in April and we'll just kind of have to fast forward to 2020 and wonder because we just don't have an answer right now as to how they're going to handle 2020 but I could tell you that for the remainder of 2019 it appears as though from what I understand is that the roof will be closed for the rest of the year on Sundays at one o'clock on the east coast now is that a direct product of any of anything that anyone is saying i can't say that that is the case i don't know that is the case for sure because it is my understanding at least from what i'm told that while the players may feel this way and i'll get into more details about that is that they haven't expressed that directly to uh, management or ownership now i will say that i did spend time in the marlins clubhouse on wednesday and i did choose at at some point In the morning to say you know I think it would be a good idea to ask these players directly but at the same time I am a little bit I would say fair or unfairly a little bit of a controversial figure Hmm. because I do stories that are positive and negative so I chose instead of getting the players on the record to kind of do a anonymous poll by going up to them and simply asking hey uh, you know, off the record, anonymously, if you had your choice, would you want the roof open or closed? Because, Jeremy, truth be told, I don't know that I would get an honest decision right, and an honest answer if I had done it that way. And that can be debated in terms of how I handled that media-wise. You can let me know at Craig Mish if that is something that you think I should have done or not done. Completely fair and up for discussion. But of the players that I spoke to, and I want to be clear on this, I spoke to a lot of them. I did not speak to 15 hitters. I spoke to more than five hitters. I think probably pushing closer to 10. They unanimously said that they preferred to have the roof closed. It is not an issue. I don't think anymore at this point. I probably was making it a bigger issue than I thought it would be. Not really understanding that for the rest of the year, they were planning to close the roof anyway. At least that's my understanding that that was the plan. Whether or not some of that backlash led to that, I don't know the answer. I probably will never know the answer. But players don't want to play in those shadows. Hitters don't want to hit in those shadows. And at least from even the Marlins' point of view, the Marlins' players' point of view, their preference is to have it closed, some stronger than others, I would say, also, is is an opinion. But I think what they'll have to do in 2020 is, is come back and really look at this thing and decide a couple of things is first. Is it just as simply as this every Sunday, we're just closing the roof because obviously the fans want it open. We know that the organization probably wants it open too. I would guess that the days are gorgeous and I understand their point of view also, but uh, you know, one player did say to me that if you looked in the stands at one point during the game, the, that you could on, on the day, the, the roof was open, I guess that one in April, that you could see that the fans were moving over from the sun area to the shade area also, (laughs) because, because in general, if you go to a baseball game and you're forced to sit outside the sun, there's no choice. But if you have the choice and you see some shade, you may after an hour or two go to that shade, it's no different than a spring training game. And I, and if you go to spring training games, you'll kind of see the same thing. People after the first, second, third inning, if they can, they kind of gravitate to where the shade is. So fair or unfair, we'll see. I think it'll be more of a conversation for next year. I thought it would be a bigger deal because I still thought that would be a possibility even for this Sunday, Jeremy. I thought, wow, we're going to have a big story here. Are they going to open it or close it? Roof is probably going to be closed. I mean, not probably. It will be closed for Sunday. Let me uh, make that clear. And then what they'll have to decide next year is, do we acquiesce to the players? Do we go with what the fans want? Or another option. Uh, would be changing the time of the game i mean right. that that is that would be another potential option for them to based on where the shadows lie right on sunday at one o'clock eastern uh where you know is would we should we start these games at four like is that a possibility for a sunday game should we start these games at noon on a on a sunday is that even allowed in baseball i don't even know the answer to that Good. Twelve ten is that a possibility so not riveting info here or a conversation, but since it came off of last week and I did take the time to do it. And after I did it and then kind of heard, well, the roof's going to be closed anyway, the rest of the season, I thought, Oh, maybe I should just punt this topic. But if I'm going to take the time to speak to players and get their opinions on something, I think I owe it to them to at least bring it more to light and not just ignore it. Because then how could anybody take me seriously? Here you are asking me yeah. this question. You didn't even use it. Okay. Well, let let me, let me make sure I bring it to light a little bit. Not a huge issue, but something I think that came up and I wanted to bring it up here on the uh, podcast.
1: You know what? When you're a team where pitching is your strength, use your home field advantage and just throw those shadows out there. You're making sure you get a one-nothing game. No, I'm just kidding. Um, players don't like it. Players, yeah, no, it's, players, it's, it's players crazy, are
0: right? basically wondering if if, they're, if we have the roof, yeah. why not use it you know, we got to use it right and that's that's kind of the way it is and i think that there's a huge difference on the weekday games and the and the night games but i'm curious next year in april what they'll decide to do now also i, I believe if i'm not mistaken on sundays it was only open once or twice yeah in fact i think, fact, it, was I think it was open twice the, yeah, it was the whole, two times that's it so yeah. that's really all it was it, i went to a sunday game with my son where the roof was closed on sunday i believe uh, uh, last month too. So the debate rages on, I guess. I don't know. I think it's kind of over for the year and then next yeah. April, I'll bring it back up.
1: Well, that's over and th- this episode is just about over. Is there anything you want to add here at the end? A little news and notes before uh, we wrap this thing up? No, I
0: think we we more or less covered it. And I know that there's a lot of crossover for people who listen to me over on SiriusXM. And I want to thank so many people who, who listen to my show over there and and did my and listened to my fantasy show for almost nine years it was a great tremendous run I know I keep saying that publicly and and people are prodding me and trying to ask me more questions about it and this and that it's not something that you're going to be able to get out of me so you just may as well stop uh very thankful for the opportunity that I had for so long to be able to host that show and we will continue to cover the Marlins and Major League Baseball on this podcast
1: yeah it was a great run and you did an incredible job with that and you're continuing to do a great job here. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk, Craig. It's always a pleasure to work with you. And uh, for everyone listening, we are here to stay. So thank you for uh, listening to us here on Swings and Mishes. If you haven't yet, like, subscribe, rate, review this podcast. Let us know what you think. At Jeremy Taché, at Craig Mish, at Swings and Mishes. And have a great rest of your week, everyone.